Listen up. This is Service Headline News. I'm your host, Marty Smith, and I'm joined by Mr. History, Eric Perot. Good evening. And our, and our man in the closet, <laughs> Jake Wall. Uh, good evening, guys. <laughs> Thanks for joining. We're here to bring you the latest headlines and updates pertinent to all service men and women. So take your seats, get informed, and have a laugh as the Swearing and Podcast presents Service Headline News. You threw off the whole rhythm there. I had, to, I had to throw a curveball. That was good. That was be a completely unexpected. <laughs> well, before you go with history, uh-huh. I'll give you a history. You know what this week, actually last week, represents? What last week represented? Yeah, actually August 2nd, to be, to be exact. That is our one-year anniversary of doing this show. Ah, uh, nice. Oh, isn't that wild? How about that shit? That blew by, man. Is I that the paper anniversary? Have... <laughs> that's well, the, I knew we were getting that's close. That's the we virtual anniversary. That's the acetate anniversary. Well, I was, I, I'm more surprised that you guys hung in there for this long, to be honest with you. Forty-three episodes in fifty-two weeks, so that's not wow. That's not too bad, right? Nine. That's are we only awesome. taking nine weeks off, really? That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. good. It's pretty good for not getting paid. So. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks, guys. Thanks for hanging in there. Thanks for making it show. I think I think we get funnier and funnier. It just yeah, you know, most people, enjoyable, man. If that people ever listen to it, they'll find out we get funnier and funnier. <laughs> I was eating dinner with some friends last night. We're going to hit our stride at episode 87. <laughs> and we were talking about it. And the guy actually said, Mark asked me, how many how many listeners do you got? And I said, I, I think we have three. <laughs> Us. <laughs> but we have a hell of a good time. And he said, well, that's what counts. And I said, that's right. That's what counts. Um, I did talk to the WTF Army radio guy. And uh, nothing came of that, but uh, at least I talked to him. He's a, some retired sergeant major. Uh, but he didn't offer anything, and I didn't want to sit there and push it. And I was just like, well, I just want to get some, you know, you've been in doing podcasts since 2016, so yeah, you know, just listen to ours and let us know what we can do better and stuff. And he's like, okay. <laughs> I was like, eh, well. He probably gets a dozen of them. Well, but- yeah, I mean, they're pretty as they're pretty established. He's got like a show a day for six days. I think he's, uh, I think he runs the station or he runs the mechanics behind the station. I can't remember. So pretty good, pretty good, much, much better programming than the other one. So that's pretty cool. All right. Hit me with a big one today. What do you got for history? I got a big one for you, fellas. This was an interesting time. Do you have a fat one for us? I have a fat one. Look at you. Yeah. So yeah, this is pervy. In a <laughs> in the time frame between six August and nine August, Jake, tell us what occurred. Nineteen forty-five between the sixth and the ninth of August, nineteen forty-five. I don't know. Okay, that was helpful. On August sixth, we should almost have a reverse rule with our history. Right, we can't we can't ask questions about the event in history. Yeah, <laughs> but you shouldn't be able to quiz us about 
Yeah, exactly. military history. Well, I'm I'm curious to know if you're going to hit it because some events you guys have been spot on, very few, but very few. <laughs> there's been one or two. So I'm just curious. I don't expect you to know a lot of them. You yeah. know. Yeah. So on August 6, 1945, yeah. the United States dropped its first atomic bomb on the city of Hiroshima. The bomb was known as Marty. Oh. Little boy. Little boy. A uranium gun-type bomb that exploded with about 13 kilotons of force. At the time of the bombing, Hiroshima was home to 280,000 to 290,000 civilians, as well as 43,000 soldiers. Between 90,000 and 166,000 people are believed to have died from the bomb in the fourth month period following the explosion. U.S. Department of Energy has estimated that after five years, there were perhaps 200,000 or more fatalities as a result of the bombing. Well, the city of Hiroshima has estimated that. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, the city of Hiroshima has estimated that 237 people, 237,000 people, were killed directly or indirectly by the bomb's effects, including burns, radiation, sickness, and cancer. And cancer. So I'm not going to go into much more information on that. We're just going to cruise down to the 9th of August, which was dropped the second atomic bomb, and it was dropped on Nagasaki. Three days after the United States dropped an atomic bomb on Hiroshima, a second atomic bomb was dropped on Nagasaki on 9 August. This one, a 21-kiloton plutonium device known as, Marty? Batman. Batman. On the day of the bombing, an estimated 263,000. So energetic. I'll tell you why I was I'll tell you why I was reluctant to say it here in a second. Okay. So on the day of the bombing, an estimated 263,000 were in Nagasaki, including 240,000 Japanese residents, 9,000 Japanese soldiers, and 400 prisoners of war. Prior to August 9th, Nagasaki had been the target of small-scale bombing by the United States. Though the damage from these bombs were relatively small, it created considerable concern in Nagasaki, and many people were evacuated to rural areas for safety, thus reducing the population in the city at the time of the nuclear attack. It is estimated that between 40,000 and 75,000 people died immediately following the atomic explosion, while another 60,000 people suffered severe injuries. Total deaths by the end of 1945 have reached 80,000. Yeah. You you know what I was, I mean, there was a million horrible things about that, but I remember the, the, where they said people were vaporized and like their shadows were on like the buildings or the sidewalks or whatever. He's just like, oh, yeah. I don't think you'll ever know the actual number because and so many people died there. years later. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Later. and even in the the immediate explosion, um, yeah. vaporized, gone. So do you think that? Because we just I was telling Eric Jake that we just went and saw Oppenheimer. Yeah. Now it's been out for several weeks. Do you think they purposely didn't debut it on? <laughs> yeah. The anniversary. The yeah. Yeah. Now they come out a couple of weeks early, but they're like, "Oh, there was just a chance," you know. Yeah. Well, um, 
Yeah, it would be probably a bad PR move if they debuted it on that day. <laughs> well, if they expect any money in Japan, I suppose, yeah. I'm really curious what the Japanese people think of the movie. If they have a opinion. Well, I mean, really, all it was it was uh, more all the internal workings of uh, the Manhattan Project. Um, dropping the bomb was was Secondary. kind of the smallest part of the movie, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. With you. Uh, but they did debate whether they whether they should drop it or should use it or something like that, and they actually did say that they mentioned the firebomb campaign. And how many more people that actually killed more? Yeah, because we we're just lighting air, the whole southern end of Japan on fire. Yeah, but the reason why you asked me, I had to, I had to stop and think, was because uh, my first Harley was a fat boy, right? Yeah, <laughs> and this one of the theories of why they called it a fat boy. Uh, of course, Harley called half their bikes fat anyway. But when I got it, and now I'm going to forget the details, but essentially it was at the rise of a bunch of the Japanese bikes that were here. You know, you had the hurricane and the ninja yeah. uh, and all that. So Harley came out with the fat boy and the fat boy, they say was a combination of fat man and little boy, the two atomic bombs that we dropped on Japan mm -hmm. because the fat boy was going to counter the Japanese bikes that were coming in. I don't know if that's true. I don't well, you know. What's really interesting know. is it was two different designed weapons. Why yeah, take the risk and uranium? Yeah. yeah. Why yeah. take the risk on the second one when you knew the first one worked? Why wouldn't you just use the same type of device? Well, well they, the, they knew of, they were both going to work. They just didn't know the full impact of either one of them. So it's basically a scientific experiment. Kind of was, yeah. Okay. And what they were alluding to in the movie that it was taking forever. And I know there's some uh, there's some stories after we dropped those two bombs, but the movie was alluding to how much time it was taking to process both uranium and plutonium to get enough material to make each bomb. Mm. And I had read that uh, it's a good thing Japan did give up because we were out. We had no more to make any more bombs, yeah, because it uh, took them a year to make a m enough material, or I don't know if it was a year, but it took them forever to make enough material for those two bombs. But they didn't know that we did. We were like, okay, well, hopefully they don't ask us to drop another one for <laughs> six more months because we're out. <laughs> we're we're out of gas. Believe, do you believe? Just an opinion. Do you believe that dropping the device? saved millions of American lives that would have had to invade the Japanese mainland. The only thing I can do on that, because I got, I got asked this when I was a kid and I went home and I asked my dad, cause they were, you know, it was like, Hey, was it ethical? Should we have dropped not only one, but should we have dropped the second one? And my dad was like, fuck yeah, I got the war over. And I was like, <laughs> okay, dad, I got you. <laughs> uh, but I don't know. I mean, it's hard to speculate, right? I mean, if yeah. they if they were going to have a defense of Japan like they talked about, it, yeah. I don't know if we could have taken it over. Man, I don't think we had enough men. Well, uh, especially being so fanatical in the island hopping campaign, where they would go till death. fight to the end. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I, that makes me want to believe that we actually 
saved a lot of American lives. I'm hoping and, that's the case. Well, and Japanese lives. I mean, they would have defended uh, to the Civilian. death, right? Yeah. So we killed a bunch of civilians instead of a bunch of soldiers. So there is yeah. that piece too. But yeah, if they had had it, you know, would they be debating? Oh, should we have killed all these Americans here? Or, uh, you know, that mm. kind of thing. So um, I'm really happy they didn't have it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Oh my God! I joined because uh, some of these other countries, I honestly believe, would not have even thought twice. Let's we're dropping it. No, right, right. Well, it, it, it's war. Yeah, right? yeah. You know, I mean, how how many? I, I, and we killed more with the firebomb. So yeah, I guess you could bring that same kind of argument up and say, hey, wasn't it better that we dropped the nuclear devices than to keep burning Japan to the ground? Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know. I mean, I, I think that's a valid question as well. Yeah. But anyway, go see Oppenheimer. That was a that was a day in history to sell Christopher Nolan's movie. But oh, there you go. Oh. Be prepared to sit on your ass for three hours. That's a long <laughs> ass movie. long movie. Yeah. Well, Holy cow. They gotta really think about breaks in these things. I you know <laughs> like, yeah let's like, just uh, pause it for fifteen did, minutes. Did they pause used it. to? Uh, uh, like in the fifties, didn't they have like an intermission in the m- middle of the movie? Yeah. You know, like, all right, go go take a piss, go buy some stuff, and then come back. And these guys are just like, nope, we're plowing ahead, baby. <laughs> well, in World War II, they always had the newsreels that came up. Well, sure, you'd have an intermission after the newsreels into the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, you're right. It would be nice <laughs> to have something right in the middle of the movie. To go. <laughs> All right, stretch your legs, cause, cause that whole last hour, everybody's like, "Come on, drop the fucking bomb! I gotta go already." <laughs> That's what's good about having your own personal theater room. All right, let's wrap it up. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> did Albert did really you... need to say that? That didn't add anything to the movie. Let's go. <laughs> personal. Are you drinking moonshine or water? Just water. Yeah. Uh, it looks like moonshine out of a jar. Yeah, it's straight moonshine. out of Oregon. <laughs> All right, let's get uh, let's get on with the news here. Um, we'll start it off with another recruiting effort by the Navy, and this is from <laughs> Military.com. So get ready, Eric. Oh my goodness! The Navy is making promotion to E4 automatic after 30 months of service. So. What's that, two and a half years? Not long enough. 12, 24, yeah, two and a half years. So the Navy announced it's making promotion to E4 or Petty Officer Third Class, which is the most junior Petty Officer and non-commissioned officer. Uh, They're making it automatic. An administrative message released last week or the week before, the service announced that starting in July 2024, excuse me, Sailors at the rank of seaman or E3 will automatically be promoted to Petty Officer Third Class or E4 after having served just 30 months in the Navy. This is a major shift from the prior method. Sailors had to serve a minimum amount of time at the rank of E3, take an advancement exam offered twice a year. So there was an advancement exam. For the Navy, yeah. Yeah. Take an advancement exam, have their scores added to a complex formula that would compare them against all other sailors going for E4 in their specific specialty to determine who would make the cut based on quotas set by the Navy. 
The new policy also sets the time sailors need to serve for automatic advancement to E2 at nine months of service. Okay, that's that's fairly that that's pretty much the same across the board, right? Oh, uh, for the next rank for, for all the other branches, right? Yeah, it's pretty automatic to Air Force is kind of the only one that's slow. Oh yeah, we're notoriously like the slowest to promote. Yeah, because Navy used to be nine months E1 to E2. Nine months E2 to E3, six months as an E3. That's it. So that's a quick promotion cycle, and they can group study. Oh, shit. Yeah. Hmm. Is that that's so, in the past or current? That, that was, was in the past. So that was what? 24 months. So they're actually stretching it out. Yeah, I guess so. But the new process called the Apprenticeship Advancement Alignment Policy aims to tie two factors of a sailor's career promotion and new orders together. Navy officials have previously said that the goal behind the overhaul is to benefit the service by getting higher-ranking soldiers into matching jobs more quickly, as well as giving them more control and transparency over their career. So, and once they once they're going up for E5, then it's back to the normal system. <clears throat> So, uh, sailors coming in. Who is this guy? Ter- Terrell. Terrell. Uh, overall, it will not only take care of the sailor and their family, but the Navy reducing those gaps and getting the r- right sailor there. So, this is uh, certain career fields he's talking about that need some of those higher ranks. That's going to benefit them. But sailors coming in at 30 months, they now have that plan to continue and follow in a career which is ultimately going to help with retention. So <laughs> I think they're saying, hey, we can make you a non-com in two and a half years. Wouldn't you want to keep staying in after that? Maybe. That's exactly what this is about. Yeah. In my opinion. Wow. We have a we have a similar uh example of the loosening uh of standards. Cause when we were Jake and I were at Sibbers, when it started, you could only be assigned there if you were a five level, right? Wasn't it a five level? Yeah. And then, uh, so basically. Sibbers as in space-based infrared radar crap? Yeah, the space-based infrared satellite system. So when it went ILC in 2000 2000 or 2001, you could only be assigned there if you were five level. So they were really taking senior or more advanced E4s and up. Right. Hmm. But then over the years, because they were always critically manned, they couldn't get people in. They lessened that. Were you there, Jake, when they dropped that standard or hit you gone already? Uh, no, because I was a cross trainee, right? So, right. well, there I was a. got there, was, there in like 01. Right. Later in like 06 or 07, uh, they dropped that because they could never get enough people in. So they said, okay, we'll take basically one and three levels. And so you had these guys coming right out of basic, right out of tech school. And now they're sitting on the ops floor. And when we had it before with five levels, those guys had the maturity and the, uh, the wherewithal that, that system, that uh, operation center ran really well. But when you had new board, new guys come right in, it's like, all right, let me, let me give you more OG OJT. So you can think on your own 
Now they could do all the right button pushing, but they couldn't think of the logic behind it just because they were young guys. So that's one of the examples where they lessened the standard and the work center dropped because of it. Do you but, think that'll happen with this Navy? I think it will. I don't know. If probably. Very yeah. young. I'm sure young E4s in positions of authority that are going to cause problems. Yeah, but I don't understand, though. You, in Under the old rule, they could be an E4 in 24 months. So you're saying it was a quicker time. Yeah, uh, that's what the... the stand. Huh. I think it is, but I'm not understanding it, though. Well, wasn't there a written piece to that, though? I thought yeah. there was a written exam. Yeah, there is. A, uh, you could okay. be eligible to take that written exam. Right. But you have that's have a much, much smaller time number. And grade. Much smaller number being promoted versus all of them being promoted automatically. Yeah. Well, that's a good point because uh, there's no competition under this new system. You just got to automatically go. So with the other one, you had to test against other people, right? And this one's saying, yeah. no, we're doing away with that. We're just going to give it to you automatically. So, right. I don't know. It's interesting. Uh, just another thing they're going to promise, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, moving on. Keep it in the space. Well, we weren't really in the space, but I pulled that story <laughs> into space. So let's keep it in space for right now. Uh Wait, before you move on, Jake, yeah. one question. Are you are you for this or against this or no opinion? Uh I'm wondering. I'm just curious what the Navy's getting out of this. Like I wonder why. I'm just skeptical on why they're doing it. I think it's I, if it I, is a retention thing. I think it is trying to say, hey, we can make you one of our junior NCOs in two and a half years. And once you're already NCO, you might as well stay in. And I, I don't know if that's yeah. the intent, no, but it yeah. sounds like that's the sell. Just another incentive. Yeah. Another incentive. Yeah. Hmm. So that young guy doesn't know shit. And you're like, God damn these guys. <laughs> yeah. But I the need... Air, Fo Air Force has done that in a certain way too. Right. What was the big uh, staff sergeant giveaway? Remember that when they were? Uh... Yeah, they promote like the percentages. Based yeah, they got they got they rid need. of too many, and then the next year they're like, "All right, everybody, here's your, your staff sergeant. It's one hundred. <laughs> That's all you got to hit." <laughs> oh my god! But they got a staff sergeant, so it is definitely timing. Um. Okay, so for all those space command headquarters personnel who, who were. Looking forward to going to Alabama. <laughs> well, you unpack those bags, baby, because you stay right here in Colorado. So from stripes.com, President Biden chooses to keep Space Command headquarters at Peterson Space Force Base in Colorado. So under Trump, there was, Al or uh, yeah, it was Alabama who was trying to get uh, Space Force headquarters. And so... Yeah. They did a, was it, it wasn't an audit. I can't remember who, uh, oh, Government Accountability Office did a review on, was it Redstone? Redstone Arsenal, yes. In Huntsville. Trump and, wanted to move it there. Yeah, they wanted, they did a, they did a report on Redstone and Peterson. And I guess Alabama came up higher than Colorado. 
And that's from the government accountability office. So they gave it to Trump and Trump was like, I'm moving it to Alabama. Well, <laughs> uh, Biden just came out and said, Nope. Uh, space command headquarters is staying in Colorado Springs, Colorado at Peterson air force base. So there's Peterson a lot of space base. Oh yeah. Thank so you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like we got we got to change our pronouns. For, it's so for, hard to for, say that, man. It really is. I know, I know. It's so hard to say. It's so especially hard for you to say that without spitting afterwards. I know. It's like, <laughs> space more space. <laughs> I agree. Space cops. So, <laughs> so it was more expensive to have headquarters at, at Huntsville. Uh they used some. Uh, it it said it had a higher score doesn't say what that score was it just said yeah. Huntsville scored higher than Colorado all right so justification or something uh and I, I, think, I think Jake and I talked about it I know Hickenlooper the is he a senator yeah a senator for Colorado was all happy about that and Bennett was all happy about that and I kept it in Colorado but the Alabama senators were pretty pissed yeah they're gonna they're probably gonna protest against it well, one of the one of the theories is, you know, Tommy Tuberville, you know, the old uh, football coach who ran for Senate and won in Alabama. <laughs> well, he's holding up all those general and admiral promotions. I don't know how one guy does it. Uh, I never understand that politics wise. But he's holding up all those promotions to protest this mess. No, because he wanted uh, some of the funding that was in the NDAA. Uh, where bases would pay for people to go have abortions, among other things. They would pay for them if they had to travel out of state to go get abortions, something to that effect. Yeah. So Tuberville was holding it up to make them change that language. And now all these, it's, it's, it, it cracks me up when they're like, how are we going to function without, without one top star general? Yeah. Don't worry, we got 17 more right behind you. We'll be okay. <laughs> we'll be all right. But when they come out and they're like, this senator's holding up those promotions is causing a real hardship on these uh, G10s or O10s, whatever the hell they are. Uh, I'm trying to get my three-star. I'm only a pissant two-star right now, and this senator's really holding it up. Well, you would uh, have to believe that Peterson is more ready. Well, I agree. Infrastructure-wise for this I, type I, of stuff. I guess so. But yeah, it's U.S. Space Command. You had Space Command, the three buildings right there. Right. I, I'm sure they're better prepared. But what the Alabama senators I, are saying. I doubt it, honestly, because half the time we're looking at stuff and facilities downtown. What do you mean? You're talking about here in Colorado? Yeah. We don't have enough skiffs or facilities mm -hmm. that people are moving that's off true. base yeah, that's constantly. Right. That's true. Well, to finish my Alabama senator story is that because uh, Tuberville, the senator from Alabama, is holding up those promotions, the speculation is they chose Colorado over Alabama to stick it to Alabama because that senator is holding up those promotions. Oh. And you know hmm. what? That probably is the most accurate. That probably is what happened. We turn everything political. Yeah, it's, it's pretty viable. Yeah. 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 So <clears throat> anyway, 
Congratulations, we're staying here. Well, building one is safe down Peterson Air Force Base. Uh, okay. Remember that? Remember we did that story? Yeah, what was it? Like a month ago? When we we're kind of, when the Marines were asking for Tomahawk missiles so they could be put out on an island. Yes. And we were kind of laughing about that. It's like, hey, Where'd those two tomahawks come from? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. That island right there, right? And they're going to be left behind routinely. That's right. <laughs> well, the Marines have a way out of that now. They now cool. have a drone truck that can take out enemy ships from a thousand miles out using the tomahawk. So it's going to be a remote controlled. Are we actually talking about a truck? Is that my? It is a truck. Yes. A vehicle. Yes. And we're going to launch it? Fusion. Someone make me yeah. smart because uh, I'm just lost. It It is a remote controlled truck that will drive yeah. out to the location and then be able to launch from that area. But it will be remotely controlled. But they can control it. I see. So the truck will be unmanned, drive into position, and launch tomahawks. I am dying to find it, to know what you originally thought it was. I see a big rubber band with a big old truck at the back of it. It's being shot up into the air. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what can I tell you? That's what I said. I don't understand it. it kind of stuck smaller to me. So that truck is right there. All right. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have an understanding now. I like how you get mad at the story. It's like, that's the dumbest thing. Oh. Oh, yeah, it makes sense now. Oh, they're going to remote control. Okay. <laughs> well, hell, put a dog on there with a machine gun. You got a freaking army. You're good. Launching you put the poor dog out there by on its own. So He's an AI. He's good. <laughs> oh, the robot dog. Yeah. Why don't you just launch robot dogs on the deck of the ships and let those dogs go to town, man? Yeah, right? can't you just catapult robot dogs? Yeah. Instead of a whole truck? <laughs> the United States Marine Corps uh, latest weapons platform, the Long Range Fires Launcher, LRFL. It's an uncrewed tactical vehicle that carries a single Tomahawk cruise missile, allowing Marines to engage targets at ranges of hundreds of miles or more. Importantly, the platform itself is designed to support rapid deployment in austere environments, allowing Marines to quickly take islands and begin wreaking havoc on any enemy vessels or positions within reach. The basis for the core new long-range long fires launcher is the remotely operated ground unit for expeditionary fires. Guess what this acronym is? Remotely <laughs> operated ground unit for expeditionary fires or rogue fires. <laughs> <laughs> that's rogue. not even that bad, though. I like that. Rogue. Yeah, that's not that's bad. bad. Yeah. Uh, the rogue vehicle is itself an unmanned iteration of the Oshkosh Defense's JLT JLTV or the Joint Light Tactical Vehicle. I think we did that story too. Yeah. Yep. The Marines' new LRFRL, on the other hand, can deploy any iteration of long-serving BGM-109 Tomahawk cruise missiles, 
some of which can reach targets further out than 1,200 miles while carrying a 1,000-pound warhead. So they're working on Block 3 right now, but I was reading about the Block 5 Tomahawks. That thing is, I mean, it flies subsonic, 1,200 miles range, um, and it flies that slow, and it flies like right off the wave tops. So it's all under radar. And that thing. That range is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a real game changer, right? With all those islands out there. And to know that, hey, I better stay a thousand miles off this island or. Okay. I have another dumb question. Please enlighten me. How does the vehicle get on the island? Does the ship pull up? It drives onto the island. Oh, yeah. This is a landing craft. Okay, yeah, we're on a landing yeah. craft, but we're not a thousand land. miles away at that time. Well, I no, think what they're saying is like uh, we can shoot from that island to another island. Well, if we if we have control of an island, you can drop one of those there, and then move on. Okay, you know? I don't know. I, I mean, I I don't. Maybe they maybe just drives on the seafloor. Because in the article, it talks about the Navy Marine Expeditionary Ship Interdiction System launcher vehicle, right? Nemesis, right? But that's a di- that's a different that's a whole different thing. I cut all that part of the article out. Ow. okay. Because that's this whole umbrella. They have this like whole umbrella of coverage for all these different vehicles, different ranges, and different munitions and stuff like that. But that Nemesis is pretty cool too. Yeah. This doesn't seem like this huge new idea to me. I I don't know. Well, I imagine like doing scud hunts, right? Remember that was a whole huge portion yeah. of the war. That's true. We do surface to air hunts. We do mobile missile launcher hunts all the time. We devote a lot of our air combat or air support superiority to that. Okay. And so... So I we're going to build one remotely I'm, controlled vehicle. I'm pretty sure we're going to have more than one, and we can just move it around. And plus, it's not going to so, be an issue of human lives leaving yeah, them there or true. not. Yeah. Guys, it launches one Tomahawk missile, and then it's what? Just a passenger vehicle? Crash. And then it's just a <laughs> robot. Not even that. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, like, potentially, it potentially is reloadable, I would think. I mean, like with Stinger, when we were Stinger, you shoot a missile, you drop the case, right. and you go to the next missile. Yeah, but Stingers don't have a 12,000-mile radius. Either. No, but that's not what I'm comparing it to. I'm talking about one-shot, drop it, and run. But now we're talking about a vehicle that's probably worth quite a bit of money yeah. that you're just going to leave unattended. Well, or can it I can think, it be reloaded? Well, I guess I would it, hope so. Yeah, yeah. It could be reloaded if you went Okay. Also, uh, Eric. How are we going to support the military industrial complex if we're not building in new and amazing things? That's a very good point. point. Now, see, I'm tracking on that. I'm tracking. I'm yeah, 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 exactly. And that is a perfect, that's even a better transition of stories than I could have written. So, speaking of that, uh, from stripes.com, Lockheed, mm. our favorite defense contractor next to Raytheon, right? Mm-hmm. Lockheed is reaping $2.3 billion so far restocking the Pentagon. Now, 
I tried my best to cut out a lot of these numbers, but I, I just can't. You got to read them. They're just mind-blowing. It's just Snicker bars in the vending machines, right? Oh, my God. It's insane. <laughs> Pushing to restock depleted U.S. weapons stockpiles, the Pentagon has already committed almost $2.3 billion of a potential $6 billion to Lockheed Martin. Wow. Marty, um, just like, but that was because of Ukraine, right? Partly, and, yeah. And Afghanistan and all that. Yeah. And just our slow rate of restocking anything. We did we had no idea we were gonna give away the, the, the freaking farm to a foreign country. And then, yeah. you know, people are waving them down. It's like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah, give us all you got. So uh but yeah, I think twenty years of war, uh not throwing any money into restocking munitions, but probably pushing a lot to R and D and committing to all these new platforms. Geez, how many stories have we done in the last year? Yep. Army's yeah. got Every, a new vehicle. Army's got a new yep. rifle. Navy's got a new ship. And I was yeah. just like, oh my God. R and D's been huge, man. Oh yeah. But the but the, all the guys who need bullets and artillery rounds are like, hey, we keep putting in the order. They keep saying the phone's busy. So <laughs> I don't know if we're getting through to him. Um, similarly, Lockheed's joint venture with RTX, formerly known as Raytheon, Raytheon Technologies, Technology. is on track to receive about $1.4 billion of a potential $1.9 billion to replenish its inventory of Javelin anti-armor weapons. So if you think about that for a second, like we were just talking about 20 years of war, I don't know how, how many javelins do we use there, right? One, Ooh. two, maybe. Hmm. And so we've given all our javelins, I guess, to Ukraine, but we weren't using them over the last 20 years. We weren't shooting any armor vehicles out. So how many do we have in inventory? Right? Four. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> it could have been, right? That's crazy. Um, Lawmakers, contractors, analysis have pressed for such data on the efforts to rebuild Defense Department inventories, a process that can stretch over years as contracts are negotiated and production lines are restarted. So far, the Pentagon has committed $9.7 billion to replenish stockpiles out of a total of $26 billion appropriated for that purpose by Congress. So... This is funny because they're like, oh, well, we're using a new method. So the new figures use a revised methodology by the Pentagon's Office of Acquisition and Sustainment to reflect obligated dollars set to be dispersed to companies as deliveries are made or other contract terms are met. So instead of just like, here's your two bill, you know, give us what you can. So they say they're going to wait until they get some stockpiles and they're like, okay, we're going to pay you for this one. Keep them coming. And we'll keep paying you as we get them. Hmm. Which is why, you know, I guess makes complete sense. Finally. Well, and you'd like to think those who are receiving those weapon systems will say, whether it be Ukraine or somebody else that we sell them to, Hey, we're going well, we to do our best. We ain't selling shit to Ukraine. Uh, you would, We're just I would like think there's probably a negotiated, hey, Zelensky, we scratch your back in this one. And down the road, if you survive, we expect <laughs> we expect this in return. 
You'd out like of, to think some negotiation has occurred. Out of your high-powered economy, uh, <clears throat> we uh, we want some money back. I, I don't. You know what? Before the war, Ukraine was not that poor. Yeah, it's not. It's not freaking Hungary or something like that. I mean, it's a country that was well-established and it was westernized. I like how unlike Hungary, which is a total <laughs> shit box. That's because it's a smaller country is where I was going. Ukraine oh, was huge. Huge. That, so, that is a good point. You just pulled Hungary right out of <laughs> Hungary was in the chamber there. You were ready. Oh that. yeah, he was waiting to cuss Hungary. Let me think of a smaller country. <laughs> the former Czechoslovakia or something like that. Yeah. Or one of the stands. What is the former Czechoslovakia now? It's a stand, isn't it? One of the stands. It's like Serbia, Croatia. It's all that that, stuff. All that stuff broke up. Right next to Hungary. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have to pull my map out, man. Uh, All right. Um, So, anyway, let's just say that. No negotiations is what we're saying. Well, Lockheed's making bank, <laughs> and now it, it's it is a, a little bit alarming that they say they have to restart production lines. It would be interesting to go. Hey, when was the last time they made a batch of javelins? Yeah, you know what? Well, and the president can implement that war act in, in times of war where everything stops on a civilian side and you know ramps up to. Um, a military war capability. We're on the we're factories. Not, we're not at war. I, I, I know, but I'm saying if oh, we yeah. had to, we yeah, could ramp that system up. He could well, implement. Well, that. we had factories deciding to make uh, ventilators. Yeah, maybe they got to change them back to stingers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought that was a good one. Yeah, it was, good. was a good one. General Dynamics. And other contractors have commitments of nine hundred and one million of a potential one point four billion to provide Ukraine, Ukraine, with replacement one five five millimeter howitzer ammunition. Ah oh, man, Ukraine is sucking us dry, baby. I'm telling you. Let's talk about more tech gear. Tech gear. Tech gear from sandbox.us. R and D gear. So, no, this is stuff that's actually in use. Okay. Right? okay. So this article, I don't know why, I, I hate when they, sometimes when they write articles to kind of dumb it down because us in general public don't know what special ops does, right? <laughs> but the article is titled, Three Pieces of Special Operations Gear That Give Troops, quote, superpowers. Troops Ooh. have superpowers? Wow. And so, I, I hate when they do that. It's so dumb. Iron Man. Um, but there's uh they they only address like three different things in here. So I'm gonna address the last and then work my way back. Okay. Because the first one is really cool, the second one's kind of cool, the third one's really lame. So I'm gonna address that one first. So they say that SOCOM has gear so they can read minds like Professor Xavier. It's so dumb. Uh-huh. <laughs> so dumb. Special operators aren't only tasked with combat ops. It's not all uncommon for special operations troops to serve at the forefront of Americans' foreign policy, engaging with local leaders, and even interrogating potential sus- suspects, which should be like CIA, 
But I guess we're Delta Force now. In complex environments like that, it pays to have a sixth sense that can tip you off when someone has ulterior motives or is trying to be deceptive. So this company called Softworks developed what they call a, quote, physiological analysis tool for SOCOM's operators to analyze data collected from a variety of sensors that can be used to predict how a conversational partner feels while they're talking. So the system relies on cameras, temperature sensors, and even radar to assess a person's body temperature, heart rate, and physical mannerisms. I think we've seen that in enough movies, right? Yeah. They put the guy in there and they got like thermal on him. Um, but they got other things that can like get his temperature. It's like, oh, is he sweating this out or, you know, that kind of thing. So that one's okay. That's cool that they have that. It's not really superpower stuff. It's just, uh, I think it's used not only by special ops, but probably primarily by CIA, I would imagine. Uh, we put a test guy up there and asked him some questions that made him fairly uncomfortable. Uh, hey, this person is nervous when you ask this question. Uh, micro expressions is another way to look at this. And it, like I said, it relies on cameras, temp sensors, and body temperature, heart rate, and physical mannerisms. So if you got something monitoring the guy's body and you can tell his heart rate goes up, eh, yeah, right? <laughs> Pretty easy. Okay, the next one is a little uh, difficult. They have equipment that can look through the walls, looking through walls like Superman. <laughs> um so it's almost like they wrote this for like a 15 year old or something but uh they have from this company called lumini incorporated uh the company that won defense department's contract has already begun fielding uh, a certain technology that is being used not only by the military but by first responders like police and fire who there's a big sensor that you can put against the wall and it will tell you if somebody's moving around inside or if somebody's inside and it can yeah. tell you, it, it doesn't give you a picture, but it can tell you like, Oh, this person's two meters away from the wall, five meters away from the wall, seven meters away from the wall or walking left or walking right, that kind of thing. So what the special ops guys are adapting and the big thing about this, company lumini incorporated is the first iterations of this thing were huge man they were like a big screen tv and they used to have to put it on this wall and it's like if there's terrorists in that room and they're they hear some fucking around with a wall outside they're gonna come just give us a good 15 minutes and then pretend like nothing happened so <laughs> Lumini made this little, it's almost like the size of uh, uh, like an old plugger, you know, it's like, a, I don't an know, old maybe, plugger. <laughs> maybe seven inches by seven inches or something like that. And they're able to put it up against the wall and it does the same thing. So they've kind of miniaturized it. Uh, I kind of feel bad when you, when you're looking at uh, special forces guys and all the equipment they're supposed to, they're oh, forced to carry to around. around. Yeah. yeah. Well, what, that reminds me of the article we did on the uh, VR goggles, right? When they had to carry the battery and everything yeah. else. Like, I can barely reach my weapon. I got so much crap on now. That's why they have all those remote-controlled vehicles. They can stick all their shit in it. <laughs> Drop yeah. it off on an island. See? That's perfect. 
Watch it wherever. <laughs> well, I always feel bad when they kick those horses or those dogs, robot <laughs> ones. I'll kick them over to see if they can run. Yeah, they're themselves. always like yeah. pushing them with their leg and stuff like that. I'm like, geez, man. I don't know, understand what they're doing. But. You know, there's one guy on the test team who's always first of all. I got it. I got it. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> like, Why are you doing this? He's like, well, better I do it here than at home. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the first one of this article, the last one I'll talk about, is climbing walls like Spider-Man. Well, that's huge. That's Did you guys, did you look at this? uh at this thing yeah <laughs> well let me share it and i'll run it so this is magnetic uh yeah climbing things i still don't quite get how they work but it's pretty badass yeah damn that's wild it's just for so it's boarding ships is that what it's designed right, right. so they can for? come up on a raft and then crawl up the ships but is he is he actually pressing something to like release the magnet, or is he just angling it so the magnet? I think at releases? that angle it releases. At that one specific angle, the magnet releases. Okay, I was thinking like an electromagnet. He's got to turn it on. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then turn it I off. Think but it's probably something to do with that. Boy, if you're not, you know, secretive enough to do it quietly, yeah, it looks loud as crap. Yeah, you're not, you're not. If you're discovered, you're not going to pull a weapon anytime soon. Well, and what are, what are like if you had to come up? Not even like an enemy destroyer, but what if you had to come up, uh, uh, like a, a tanker was taken over by terrorists, and you had to come up to a tanker and crawl up? Those tankers are, I don't know how how high up they are. Yeah, it's got to be five, six stories. They got to crawl up that tanker to get on. Yeah, right? you're gonna be really yeah, like a winded. shipping vessel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this guy looks like he's already tired from going <laughs> the distance he went. Right. And then uh, I, I would imagine you wouldn't have to worry about coming down, right? Because you're gonna crawl up there. You're gonna create some chaos. Hopefully, you take over the ship, and you don't have to worry about climbing back down. Yeah. Can't you just fast rope? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah at that point, it's like, yeah. Just <laughs> repel down at that point. <laughs> so, it doesn't, he's, having hard, it doesn't, he's having a hard time going down, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, it doesn't disengage that easy. And I, I, maybe, I, I don't know if it's an angle or what, but yeah, he can't get these off right now. Oh, cut the video. Put the put the logo yeah. up there. Yeah. We're struggling. <laughs> struggling. We're struggling. <laughs> right, right. So I thought that was kind of a fun little article. Yeah. Um, but let's close it out with, did you know Monday, August 7th, did you know, did you realize Monday was National Purple Heart Day? I didn't know that. Thanks. I, I did didn't not. Didn't know there was such a thing. I, did, I didn't either. Um, so it's, every, it's for everyone who's been killed or wounded in combat. So National Purple Heart Day was Monday. Well, you tell me if this next story could possibly qualify for a Purple Heart. All right. <laughs> so, Eric does love a good qualification for a medal story. <laughs> so, yes, I do. <laughs> from foxnews.com. I, I, There's a lot of people that, that ran this story, but Fox News is, had the best one. Uh, an Arizona woman 
was arrested after allegedly pouring bleach in her Air Force husband's coffee. <laughs> uh, an Air Force woman is accused of attempting to poison her husband, who is in the Air Force, by pouring bleach into his coffee. Melody Felicano Johnson, who's 39, was arrested and charged with attempted first-degree murder, aggravated assault, and adding harmful substances to food, drink, or medicine. Wow, I didn't wow. even know that was a separate charge, charge right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's currently being held on a $250,000 bond. Well, Melody and her husband, Roby, they have a child together, and they were in they were stationed in Germany. So Roby began to notice one at one point, Roby began to notice his coffee tasted bad or tasted <laughs> odd. While he was drinking a cup in March, in March, back in March. He drank the coffee for two or three weeks before he purchased some pool. Testing strips. I don't know why it says pool testing strips. <laughs> He's testing the pH. It should be just like water pH strips, level, right? He's testing the pH level in his coffee. Oh so my he wanted god! To determine what was wrong with it. Okay, I'm, yeah. I'm with him. So first, he tested the tap well, water. I would have done you, the same. You know what's funny though? Is his is his, somebody from work was like, "She fucking poisoning you, dude." <laughs> He's coming in. He's always drinking a second and third cup at work. And they're like, why the hell are you drinking so much coffee at work? Yeah, taste this coffee. It doesn't taste good. <laughs> He's trying to kill you. Just take a thermos with him to work and let us buddy. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I wonder if he actually made that joke. Oh, my oh, God. My oh. wife's busting my balls. She's probably going to poison me or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> my coffee tastes funny. Oh, <laughs> So first, he tested the tap water at home, right? That would I, makes sense. I would have done the same thing. And that came back normal. But after conducting the test on his coffee, why would you think to put it in your coffee? I don't know why. Well, because it he thought it was tasting. I guess so. I guess so. Um, he discovered the drink contained high levels of chlorine. <laughs> Roby uh, pretended, to dr pretended to drink the coffee while stationed in Germany and waited until the family moved back to Tucson, Arizona, this summer, to alert authorities because he didn't want to report his findings in Europe. Probably a smart move. Because then you got international stuff. You got oh, how many mean, months was he just? Well, freaking spitting coffee into a plant. I throwing yeah. it over his shoulder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is she sitting there watching him? <laughs> Drink your coffee, honey. Damn it, I spilled it again. It's That's the seventh time this week. <laughs> uh so it started in March. So he PCS is back. They go to Davis Monthan, right? In Arizona in late June. So when they got there, he was in temporary housing, and Roby decided to set up a camera. Ooh. Right. So he sent Visual up the camera evidence. to observe his wife's behavior. And the camera allegedly captured her pouring bleach into his coffee. <laughs> On July 6th. So March to oh July gosh. now. He so filed five months now. <laughs> right. Five months of, of her constantly poisoning his coffee and him dumping it down the sink. Figured out a way to get rid of it. Now, do you think? <laughs> Uh, after a couple months, she's running back to the internet. It's like, 
God damn it, I'm doing everything they're saying. I don't understand. (laughs) How do you do bleach poisoning (laughs) symptoms? He should be dead now. What is with this guy? Uh, Browser. On on July 6th, he filed a report with the Tucson Police Department, but police did not follow up because the video (laughs) did not clearly show what liquid his wife was pouring into his drink. Oh, my goodness. So this prompted Roby to set up a second camera disguised as a fire alarm. <laughs> after, and after the family moved into their permanent home. So Dude. he's going from March. He PCSs from Germany. They're in temporary housing. He moves into their permanent home. I, I wish they would. I mm. wish this wasn't a civilian news place. I wish this was more of a military story to like, was he on base? Was he, you know, was he off? Base? Yeah. What was it? Either way. So he moves into his permanent home. He sets up a second camera disguised as a fire alarm uh, into that home. Roby returned to the police department on July 18th to provide additional video evidence and the new footage allegedly showed his wife pouring bleach into the coffee machine before brewing. (laughs) (laughs) Melody was then detained. When police searched the home, they found that the coffee machine smelled like bleach Officers also discovered a small container inside her personal bathroom that they said could have contained bleach. The couple had had separate bedrooms and bathrooms. Um, that, that brings up a good point. How was she describing this, hiding the smell from the coffee? I, bleach is pretty distinctive. Dude. Yeah. Right. And, and you're warming it up? Yeah. <laughs> you're, like cooking it's it. warm, you're cooking it and it's warming up, <laughs> boiling through a coffee filter. I mean, if you, have, if you have a pool on a hot summer day, you go to a oh. public pool, you're like, God damn, they put no. a lot of chlorine into this damn thing, right? Yeah. Um, so Dude. Johnson is in jail on $250,000 bond. A high bail amount was requested because she recently purchased a home in the Philippine, Philippines, which is where her family lives. Hmm. Court documents said... Pull a runner. Roby believes she tried to kill him to collect his death benefits. Nice. So, Purple Heart? <laughs> I don't think no, murder. Ro- I don't think Roby, murder. He was definitely damaged, right? That's combat at home. I don't yeah, think but murder. he probably never emptied the trash on time. Though, <laughs> too, so. Took it out. <laughs> I, I would love to hear a follow-up on that story, man. I, I, I watched it. I knew what rank he was or what job he did. That is crazy. But he's out of Davis Motham, home of the A-10s, right? Yeah. They have a squadron yeah. of A-10s out there. Uh, okay, to use an artillery term, I think that's rounds complete. And we end are end of mission and end up. End up. <laughs> On behalf of all of us here, I'd like to thank you for listening today. Please like, share, subscribe, and let us know how we did in the comments. And as always, make sure to download the next episode for more service headline news. (laughs) Man, thanks for the week. And I'll see you next week. Good night, guys. Yeah, you're really churching up the accent there, Marty. I just got closer (laughs) to the mic. (laughs) (laughs) Woo! All right. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.